When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Fantasy Throwdown Podcast. The Fantasy Throwdown Podcast. Bringing you the latest from the world of daily fantasy sports and gambling. So you can stop Googling how to join a squid game to cover all those parlays you thought were such a sure thing. Now, sit back and listen to one of the sharpest minds in the game. Here's your host, Dwayne Callender. Hello and welcome to the show, everyone. We've got a massive Saturday of action coming ahead. We've got NFL divisional round matchups. Plus, we have a UFC pay-per-view. Honestly, I don't even have the time to get into the full UFC card just because there's just too much to cover, (laughs) to be perfectly honest, uh, in the amount of time left. So what I'm going to talk about is... Basically, my brief thoughts on the main events for UFC, then we're going to get into the NFL as well. Also, I know some of you are going to want my opinion on the Giants hiring Joe Schoen as the new GM. I'll be perfectly honest with you. I don't understand why everyone's doing jumping jacks and backflips over Schoen getting hired because that doesn't address the root issues going on with the Giants in general. So we're actually going to have to take more of a wait-and-see approach. But I'll get into the Giants at another uh, point, uh, just because we've got too much to talk about uh, in the here and now. So uh, just getting into uh, uh, the MMA side of things, you know, we've got uh, UFC uh, 270 on deck tonight. Uh, It's coming on after the first NFL game, so you still have time uh, to watch the pay-per-view. Uh, that will be going during the Packers uh, 49ers matchup tonight. And I mean, this uh, this this card is basically top heavy. Uh, being perfectly honest, it's one of those uh, it's one of those things where it's just uh, you know, I you got two main event. Uh, matchups, the championship matchups, and then the rest of the card is blah. So to be honest, I just kind of looked at uh, the main fights and kind of go from there. I'll probably be lighter on UFC this week than I am most weeks just because, you know, these other cards are a lot of coin flips and not that much I'm willing to be uh, that aggressive on. But uh, we got Brandon Moreno uh, in a trilogy fight against Davison Figueredo. Uh, the former uh, uh, flyweight champion. Um, the first matchup was a draw. The second matchup, you had Moreno getting uh, uh, getting the submission on uh, Figueredo in the third round. Uh, and a fight where Figueredo looked good in the uh, f- uh, first couple rounds. Then he gassed. And in the third, uh, Moreno took it to him, got him to the ground, and got the tap. But to be perfectly honest, this fight is so evenly matched up that, you know, I I don't really have a great lean one way or the other. I, I think Figueredo at plus 155, you know, he looked great at the scale. Like, the, the second time around in the second fight, he was very weak. He didn't look good. And that was one of the things that had me worried about that second fight uh, in backing Moreno was the fact that Figueredo just did not look healthy, <laughs> to be perfectly honest. It, like, it, it, was, it was literally one of those situations where I, I honestly think Dana and the UFC could have uh, could have called that fight off if, you know, if uh, <laughs> if uh, it wasn't such a moneymaker uh, card and, and possibly scrapped the card entirely if uh, they canceled it. But, you know, Figueredo looks good uh, at the scale. He put Moreno in trouble in both fights. Like this is a tough fight. Uh, so to me, it's uh, I I don't know. I it, 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 it's like that first fight. 
you know, he won the fight, if not for the low blows that he got deducted for. And, you know, my opinion is if you hit the guy enough times to get low blows uh, to get point deductions, you deserve to lose the fight. So I, I wasn't literally, I wasn't crying foul over Figueredo not getting a decision in the first fight because he did hit him low multiple times. So he deserved the point deduction. He was warned. Uh, you know, it, it wasn't an unfair dedu- deduction. And, that, and you know, nut shots will always hurt a, the, the other dude on the receiving end more than the guy who's at risk of getting a point deduction, in my opinion. But to me, that second fight, Moreno, you know, kind of stuck with it. it. It was aggressive. I just look at this from the trilogy perspective. You know, you got a five-round fight. I don't think this goes the distance. I, I, you know, these guys know each other well. They can put each other in bad positions, and they don't want it to go to decision either. I think uh, one way or the other, these guys figure out a way of putting an end to this fight. Uh, and, you know, if Moreno wins it, obviously that puts a, a capper on the trilogy. If Viggy wins it, honestly, depending on how close this fight is, we could end up seeing this fight again down the road in less than a year. Uh, it wouldn't shock me just because they're that good that one guy can lose and rack up another win and then get right back in the title picture because they really are the class of the division. So from my standpoint is, you know, uh, Moreno has just been able to uh, take damage uh, be aggressive, be able to, uh, you know, uh, at least get, uh, uh, like avoid it because Figueredo strikes and it's able to knock guys down. He hasn't been able to knock down Figueredo. He's hurt him, but he hasn't knocked him down. That That's why I say th- this is a really close fight to me. I don't, it's like, if you want to bet the dog at Figueredo, uh, I'll take the plus plus one fifty five. I don't like betting Moreno at minus minus one eighty because realistically yeah could he win the fight yeah but it's not like it's that close that he's winning the fight uh i I would say i would rather bet uh moreno uh to finish inside the distance at plus 150 than i would uh, betting moreno uh, at minus 180 Uh, to me i don't think this one's going to a decision i think the inside of distance at minus 165 is a fair number uh but uh, to me uh, rather than betting either guy I think betting their finishing inside the distance is a, a far more reasonable approach to this fight. Uh, Moreno's at plus 150. Figueredo's at plus 300. And, you know, go from there. But this is a, this is a great fight to watch. It's a coin flip. <laughs> I, I think uh, folks are looking at this and siding with Figueredo just because I think the minus 180 is just too big a number on Moreno for sharp bettors to feel comfortable with. Yeah, you'll get casual fans betting on it. But to me, I think the finish inside the distance is the way to go. So if you if you don't want to back a side and just want to bet it to finish inside the distance, you can take it at the minus 165, or you get the plus money and go with the fighter you think is going to be able to win the fight. Uh, I don't have a particular lean on it just because I think either one of these guys could put the other in a compromising position to uh, to get a submission. Uh, or the ref uh, stops the fight uh, j- just because they're they're they are active enough and aggressive enough that that they put them in a bad spot on the ground and just keep hammering. The ref is going to intercede uh, because these are money maker fights. They don't want uh, these guys getting banged up too badly. So don't be shocked if a referee comes in for, with a stoppage that folks thinks might be a little bit too soon. The UFC knows what they're doing. So again, I'm just saying. Uh, I'm I'm not a great feel for who's winning the fight, but I do feel that this fight is not going to full five. That uh, I'd be sh- that would shock me if this goes to a decision. Uh, just because these guys know each other well enough, and they're both aggressive. They they've got uh they've got the power and technical ability to, to finish the fight. So I don't see it going five. That leads us to our main event between Cyril Gan and Francis Ngannou for the heavyweight strap. Man, we got some big boys in here. Nganu, obviously, some of the most dangerous hands in all of sports, it just because of the amount of power he has in his hands. 
you know, it's just a case where uh, Francis knocked out uh, Stipe Miocic in the second round. Uh, just the power. It's the power uh, that you have to be wary of. And it's why, uh, you know, Daniel Cormier wrestled Ngannou so much to just wear him down. And so you want to get You won't absorb the full power because of the, just the power he's got in his hands. It's just something you can't prep for. So to me, this kind of comes down to how is Cyril Gan going to approach this? Because he can do his technical striking from the outside, but at a certain point, this fight's going to get on the inside, and Ngannou has the power advantage. And yes, Ngannou's going to eat a few to deliver his punch, but I'm not entirely convinced yet that Cyril Gan's chin is going to be able to handle Ngannou's power. It, no one really has that true power in the division. And yes, uh, these guys have pieced up Derek Lewis. Uh, you know, um, yeah, it, it, like I know, I know, Gon pieced up Derek Lewis, and we do, we all know that the the Ngannou Derek Lewis fight was one of the worst fights in MMA history. Uh, but I, I, you know, the first go round, the, the first the first Lewis fight, Lewis and Ngannou fight. Uh, let me be specific. Um, but, you know, we've seen since then what these guys have done. Uh, it's 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 something uh, where you actually have to be able to rationalize, you know, this fight is going to end violently. Don't know how, but it's going to end violently for someone. From the perspective of these guys were former sparring partners, they know each other very well. They're going to come out tentative, try to fill each other out. Then when they actually sense an opening, unload. That's why it's it's not going to be one of those necessarily a bang-bang affair where we're going to see you know fireworks from the jump. They're probably going to try to gauge and then explode on someone. So it could just end up being the first flurry uh, that connects wins and we get a flash knockout. Or we we just see someone uh, get on top uh, because they get they get hurt and then they get pummeled uh, pummeled until the ref stops it. But that's where because unlike with Figueredo and Moreno, it's a lot harder for the ref to stop a heavyweight from doing major damage on someone when they're opening up on shots because all it takes is one decent shot to bust somebody. Uh, uh, pretty good open like a can opener so to me that's where we kind of come into the mix here of the inside the distance finish is the likely way to go uh it's minus 280 for a reason uh it's plus 165 for gone and 150 for Nganu. me personally i think the lines being as favored on gone is a little bit more deceiving because from my perspective gone is a more cleaner technical striker and is more likely the one to try to force this to go to five let Nganu get tired and not go too crazy throwing strikes and try to keep the volume low and maintain spacing that's to me that's where gone's pathway to victory is is spacing it out getting into a firefight with Nganu is just going to favor Nganu and the way I see the inside of the distance not hitting is if it's a gone victory. I think gone's pathway to victory is by decision. I don't think he's, uh, I mean, could he knock, knock out Nganu? Yes, he has power. It's not, I'm not trying to say gone is a pillow fighter. It's like far from it. Like you, you've seen how deadly he is with his hands. It's just, it's a harder task getting into the power range against Nganu when Nganu is basically going to be in the pocket just as well and has more power than he does. That's where it's, to me, it, it doesn't make sense if you're trained to fight and you've sparred against this guy. It's not as, it's not as though uh, they haven't, they don't know each other. Like That's what makes this one of those trickier fights because when you got, have guys who are former sparring partners, they know their tendencies more than anything else. So this kind of comes down to who can execute and uh, deal with the uh, nerves, uh, so to speak, more than anything else. So, you know, 
from my perspective, I would favor Nganu just in terms of he's been on the stage longer. He kind of knows this is God's first real fight where, I mean, yes, we had a Derek Lewis fight, but did anyone really, I mean, yes, I know people were talking up Derek Lewis, but you know, my stance on Derek Lewis, it's great gatekeeper. <laughs> it's just great gatekeeper. In terms of being at the top, it, I, every top guy should be able to beat Derek Lewis. So I, I don't put, I don't see the fear of fighting Derek Lewis. There's fear in fighting Ngannou. There's fear in fighting Stipe. See, I thought Gan versus Stipe would have been a, a really interesting matchup if Ngannou hadn't be- beaten Stipe. Uh, you know, Ngannou versus Gan, I kind of look at it as the pathway for Gan in a five-round fight is to try to get this to a decision and tiring out Ngannou. The problem is I haven't seen uh, Cyril Gan try to wrestle somebody. and you know, I just don't know if Gon, yeah, he can he can try to maintain space and uh, uh, be on the outside pocket, but eventually Ngano should be able to force his way into the pocket and trade punches. And I'm I'm not entirely confident about uh, Gon to the fact that the the outsmakers have him as uh, as a favorite to this extent. I, I think you probably I think it's probably uh, a pick 'em fight, to be honest. I don't think that the I don't think it makes as much sense betting on Gon, other than if you think Gon can actually uh, pull off a finish inside the uh, inside the distance. If you want to bet it that way, or just bet Gon via decision, which is even higher odds. To me, I think you're better off betting Gon via decision because you're getting that at uh, in the uh, in the plus uh, two fifty range, and uh, I think it's way more possible for Gon to get there via decision than just uh, by doing a submission. Or because I just I have a harder time seeing with Gon strikes where Francis has eaten those types of strikes from Steep and so I'm like I said, Gon's the cleaner striker. I'm not trying to downplay it i'm just from my perspective i'm just saying from a betting standpoint it just it just makes far more sense taking uh Nganu and the finishing inside the distance with Nganu. i think it makes sense I, there's a reason why Nganu's finishing inside the distance is a lower number than gone's finishing inside the distance people people kind of understand that uh gone's not necessarily as keen on taking this on uh, onto the inside. It's just that people also aren't seeing that the possibility of this going five. I think it can go five if Gon sticks to a disciplined game plan, spaces outside, and forces Nganu to chase all night long and just picks him apart. So that's where I'm kind of leaning towards from a DFS standpoint. I really haven't built lineups yet just because I'm busy with uh, trying to get the NFL squared away. And this card is got to review a lot more to feel confident on DFS picks, but I would just take the savings with Nganu uh, for uh, uh, tournaments and and go from there because he's 7,800 on DraftKings uh, versus Gon being at 8,400. To me, you know, not knowing all the prices from each individual fight and how it shapes up, I, I can't say one way or the other. It makes more sense taking one guy versus the other yet just until I, I price out the rest of these fighters. But given some of the low-level uh, technical fights, like I feel more confident just taking stands on a couple of higher-priced fighters that I am at least a little bit more familiar with what they do well versus what they do poorly because some of these uh, folks that they're bringing on for this card are not the best prospects. And I, I think if... I think a part of it, uh, part of it is due to the fact that Ngannou's in this last fight deal with the UFC and didn't sign a contract. I part of me thinks yes, some fights did get canceled, but this wasn't that great of a card to begin with. So part of me thinks that Dana's also kind of shafting it, where he's not putting the best card together because if it's a better card, more people are going to buy it, and then more people are putting money in Ngannou's pocket before he walks out the door. I think Dana it secretly knows that it's like, I, I can sell this fight to do decent, 
I don't need to do gangbusters as well. So uh, just uh, that's my insider take on just how this car got uh, put together in, in the first place. So, uh, yeah, let's get into the NFL because we're about uh, 20 minutes in uh, thereabouts. So first game on the card, we've got the Bengals and the Titans. And this one has me conflicted because I was talking with dad about it. We both acknowledge that the Bengals have the worst coach remaining in the playoffs by far (laughs) in Zach Taylor. But the Bengals talent is very hard to deny. And we know with the Titans, they have the worst quarterback. We know Derrick Henry's back, but we don't know the extent to which Derrick Henry's back. Is he good enough and healthy enough to make the cuts necessary at his size to be effective? I have no idea. And the pricing on Derrick Henry is so tempting because it it's it's seeming as though DraftKings is is trying to force you into playing Derrick Henry as opposed to trying to play other lineups. And part of what I think I'm going to be doing, uh, because DraftKings has a Saturday-only slate and a four-game slate and FanDuel's doing similar stuff, I'm probably going to have uh, builds where I'm fading Derrick Henry because I know people are going to be probably near 70 to 75% ownership on Derrick Henry. I'm not going to fade Derrick Henry. I'm probably going to be underweight on him, though, uh, compared to the field. The reason being is that I feel as though unless the Bengals are in a shootout game with the Titans here, Derrick Henry is just not going to get that work because you're going. Uh, the Titans are going to play slower if they're in control of the ball and they're up. You kind of need this to work in a way uh, where the game becomes high scoring and you've got more, uh, um, more of a chase mode from the Titans. And yes, uh, I know that kind of works counterintuitive, but hear me out when the Titans go play action with AJ Brown, because teams load up the box, they go play action with AJ Brown. And then as AJ Brown gets going, it opens up the lanes from defenders to not oversell the run. And that's when Derrick Henry starts peeling off those 50, 60 yard runs because Derrick Henry doesn't get those 150, 200 yard games off of just drilling you with multiple 20 yard runs, 30 yard runs. He usually blitzes you with like a 40 yard run and a 60 yard run in the same game. Like that's how Derrick Henry hits you. He hits you with the home run play for a touchdown and just gashes you because someone missed an assignment in the hole. And when I say miss an assignment, most of the time it's because they make a business decision knowing that they are going to have to take on the full weight of Derrick Henry running full steam ahead at 280 plus pounds and basically say, no, thanks. I like my career and not getting myself hurt trying to tackle Derrick Henry straight on. And that's how Derrick Henry gets some of those massive runs. Now, if the Bengals fall behind, it's an easier script for me to see where uh, Jamar Chase uh, and Joe Burrow just start linking up and just chucking the ball uh, uh, to each other for the connection. That's where I see this over uh, shooting out because we had an, uh, an over of six, uh, 46 and a half. And, you know, I can see this game shooting out. The, the the overs on and the totals on all these games were pretty spread out. Uh, the Bengals Titans were uh, 46 and a half. You had the 49ers Packers at 47. You Rams Bucks 48. And then you have the, the matchup everyone's talking about for tomorrow night between the Bills and the Chiefs. That's a 54 total. And from my perspective, and we'll get we'll get into the uh, Bills Chiefs game. From my perspective, if if there's a game that's not shooting out over the top, I, because I'm going to have different stances on it, but I think the game that has a really good chance of shooting out that people kind of have undersold a bit is this first game with the Bengals and Titans. I think with uh, the Bengals, you have a passing attack that can work against the Titans. The Bengals do give up a ton of sacks, so it's going to put them in... Uh, longer situations 
with the ball and forcing them to pass on this Titans uh, defense. Now, the Titans have been playing better in the secondary, so they could pick off Joe Burrow. And again, more possessions, playing at a faster tempo. You can see scenarios where guys are going to be able to get more possessions because they're playing at a faster pace. I don't necessarily see this game running uh, running down in, into a spot where this kind of grinds out the game. I think we have a, a, a better chance of that happening in the Bucks rams game and also in this nightcap between the Packers and 49ers. Uh, so th- those would be more games. I'm a bit more tentative about the over, uh, not, uh, not cashing. So again, none of these games are a lock because once at this stage of the playoffs, every team has a general semblance of how they're going to try to shut down uh, the other squad. It's just, you know, I'm more of the believer of taking the under for the first half it and still the game could hit the over at the end. I, I think it's more the fact that these teams have to figure figure some you know what out early on in the early game. Uh you get the under the cash and then you get uh uh the shootout happening in the in the second half of the games as the teams open up and they figure out what the teams are doing uh looking at the sky camp footage of the formations. So to me, you know I wouldn't go crazy in the first half of these games if you don't see the scoring shootout. Now, it's very well possible that the over doesn't hit in these games because I think I think Vegas did price uh, hit, uh, price the lines pretty fairly uh, based on the capabilities of each team. Uh, it's just that you know when it comes to the Titans, we know they're gonna uh, they're gonna try to play action, use Derrick Henry uh, again. I'm going to go with the assumption that Derrick Henry's healthy. Uh, you know, he's he. they activated him before the end of the year. They didn't use him uh, for the season finale. Uh, they had the uh, break last week. So, you know, two weeks out from being a, a fully activated, he's been conditioning, try to return to game action. I think, you know, we can take it at face value that Derrick Henry's good enough to go play the game. Now, how effective is he going to be? Is he going to be able to cut? We have no idea. But, you know, like I said, I'm going to be underweight on the field on Derrick Henry. And then from the Bengals side, I like play, targeting Jamar Chase uh, and pairing him with J- uh, Joe Burrow. I like uh, uh, C.J. Uzoma in the tight end spot because I I have my reservations on uh, George Kittle in the nightcap. I'm not as big a fan of punting with the Packers tight ends, uh, Josh Degura. And Mercedes Lewis, so you know, I I, I think it's uh, Uzoma is fine play. I'm not interested in punting with uh, the tight uh, the uh, the Titans tight ends uh, uh, between Swaim and Ferkser. I don't give a damn. Uh, I'm just way underweight on all of them uh, for the Titans side. It, to me, could they get a touchdown? Fine, but I'm not gonna get myself beat uh, trying to force a play with uh uh with uh the Titans uh tight ends. I think the Titans basically utilize uh, uh Derrick Henry play action with AJ Brown and now that it's playoff time Julio Jones is going to be used more. And if anyone thinks Julio Jones is going to be ignored in this offense, I I don't know what to tell you. This is what they got Julio Jones for. And this is the game he's going to be up for. Uh, so I'm not saying that Julio Jones is going to have a monster game uh, and that you should be hitting the receiver props on Julio Jones. I'm just saying in terms of red zone targets, uh, you know, it's not crazy uh, to think that Julio Jones is going uh, because Julio Jones, anytime touchdown target uh, receptions uh, for the game, uh, the over was at plus uh, two forty uh, in this. I I like taking the over here um, for that one, just because again at Julio's size, you know folks are going to be concentrating on Derrick Henry. Uh, they're going to be looking at AJ Brown, who is who on the Titans are they going to look to instead of get different? They're going to look at Julio Jones. So to me, 
it's not about the volume with Julio Jones. It's just more along the lines of when they get into a situation where they can uh, be a little bit more creative with the play calling, you're likely to see Julio Jones uh, factor into the mix. So uh, that's where I kind of look at things from uh, the first game. Let's get into uh, the nightcap uh, for tonight. You got 49ers and Packers. And, you know, 47 total. Uh, oh, actually, I, I, I should have said this before. Um, in terms of the Bengals and Titans game, because this line's at three and a half with the hook, the hook makes a big difference. Because, frankly, I like the Titans, but, and I'm going to say this, but, with caution, this is a, a, a is a case where you've got uh, a, a team in the Titans where, if we're being honest, uh, they they've won games, but they haven't been dominant in their wins. So to me, I look at the Titans as a team where they're winning this game. They're probably winning it by a field goal. I don't necessarily believe they're going to have like a touchdown win over the Bengals. I think this game stays close. So the hook matters in a big way. I, I think this is more akin to a 27-24 type of game where, again, you you hit the over, but it's not as though you hit you hit the over like by a ton. It, you know, I, I think it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a case where, you know, we're close. It could go the other way where it like, you don't get the Titans to get that extra touchdown. And you know, the Bengals win because I think the Bengals are probably closer to 24 to 27 points uh, in the range. So again, this is one of those tighter games. I would feel more confident betting the Bengals as the underdog, even though I'm not as sold on them winning the game. I think the Titans edge it out barely, but if we're betting it based on the spread, I would take the Bengals side with uh, the hook on the, on the three and a half. Now this kind of leads us into the nightcap with the 49ers and Packers. 49ers are five and a half point underdogs. This is like kind of one of those ca- uh, cases where we could tease this up and you just get the six points where, you know, you need the Titans to win by 10 because you would tease, uh, tease the six points. You would need the Titans to win by 10 points to uh, for the ticket not to cash. So you get the Bengals at nine and a half and then you get the 49ers at 11 and a half. And you force the Packers to win by two touchdowns. I don't think the Packers are good enough to just smash the uh, uh, the 49ers. I mean, this is, again, uh, for those of you who may remember, uh, this is the classic game where uh, Troy Aikman, in the scene of the crime, uh, belted out this gem. We've seen it over and over and over. This is, uh, this is taking away the manhood right here. This uh, th- that was <laughs> Troy Aikman just highlighting how the 49ers just smashed uh, the uh, Packers uh, defensive line, just running the ball down their throats. The Packers have rebuilt their defense multiple times in the last couple of years to try to match up with the 49ers because they kept getting smashed by uh, the 49ers in the play uh, uh, in the regular season and the playoffs. So the Packers have been trying to work on this, but the Niners remain a problem for them. It's, you know, as much as I rag on Jimmy G, Jimmy G realistically just needs to not screw up. And I think the 49ers probably win this game outright. The problem is I think Jimmy G F's this game up anyway, even with Aaron Andrews on the sidelines. And for those of you who don't realize, for whatever reason, Jimmy G has always played better with Henry Andrews on the sidelines. Make it that what you will, it, it because it's a very small sample size. Uh, but when the 49ers get those uh, primetime games on Fox, he's actually played uh, solid. I, I, I think it's too small of a sample size to actually take it seriously, though. So I'm just going to take it on face value of what Jimmy G has been putting up throughout the year and basically the last 18 months to know that Jimmy G has had depth perception issues or just mechanical issues where he is airmailing passes 
over receivers trying to get into the next level. So those intermediate intermediate passes over 15 yards, he's been overshooting, and it's consistently happened throughout where it's made him unreliable as a QB, and it's why Jimmy G is getting fired at the end of the year by the 49ers, and they're going with Trey Lance. The 49ers could win the Super Bowl, and Jimmy G could still be out of a job, which is crazy, but the 49ers kind of have kind of realized that Jimmy G is not consistent enough as a QB that they can use him as a QB in the future. But with that being said, the 49ers offensively and defensively match up well against uh, well off, uh, well enough against the Packers that they can get the Packers absolute fits with their run game and chew up clock. That's why this is one of the games that I'm a little bit worried about the uh, the, uh, the total because if the 49ers get on get in the roll with their run game and just chew up clock, I'm not sure if we're getting over the 47. I think we could be right on the number and not hit the over. And, you know, it's just one of those things where I kind of look at it from the standpoint of if it's a little bit too close, you don't need to go there. I think you're better off just teasing uh, the Bengals line and the 49ers lines uh, together uh, for uh, the teaser and, and just going from there as opposed to just looking at the over totals because I'm not as uh, I'm not as keen on uh, those over totals as uh, uh, folks have been uh, keeping their eye on. So to me, uh, when we're talking about uh, score lines, we're we're looking at uh, you know who can put up points from a fantasy perspective. You know, Debo Samuel is going to catch passes and run balls out of the backfield. That that's what he's he's been doing. Uh, in this second half of the year, they've been using lining Debo up behind in the running back formation and giving him the rock too. So he's been getting 25 to 30% of snap share at running back. In addition to uh, running passes as wide receiver. So he has the highest utilization rate on the 49ers. The issue that the 49ers have had though, is that as they've used Debo more often, George Kill has been more marginalized in this offense. So the reason why I talk about Uzoma being more favored is that I don't have a whole lot of trust in George Kittle at the moment. I think he's injured, uh, and I think the 49ers realize he's injured, and they're trying to prioritize his blocking more than try to ha- keep having him run routes because it's wearing him out faster. So to me, and, you know, part of, originally we were attributing this to COVID and his recovery from COVID, but I think it's more, he's got other undisclosed injuries that, uh, you know, they're not really going to be uh, giving us uh, much info on. So uh, from my perspective, I would uh, be more down on Kittle uh, because he's got a bunch of props. I'd be way under on uh, Kittle's uh, uh, receiving props uh, throughout because uh, I think they had him, uh man i i lost where i had my kittle props but uh his his props definitely were uh further down the list of where i would be feeling co- uh, confident going to uh just being uh completely honest in, in terms of these games so you know i would be more uh in line with um uh kind of looking at this as one of the lower score games. Yeah. Uh, Kittle's uh, receiving prop was 50, uh, 51 and a half yards. I, you know, I just, yes, if Kittle was being featured, sure. You could hammer that and go through. It's just, I don't think Kittle's healthy and they know it. So they've been using him more in passing formation. I mean, they've been using him more in uh, uh run block and pat uh, pass block formations uh, and being more of a decoy and try to limit the amount of times Jimmy G's dropping back to try to throw. And because, again, part of it is they know he's banged up, and B, they're trying to limit the amount of passes Jimmy G is actually throwing because Jimmy G is the reason why the Cowboys were even as close as they were in that game uh, on Sunday. I mean, if uh, Mike McCarthy doesn't get fired, uh, well, he should have been fired already. The fact that Mike McCarthy hasn't been fired, he he owes J- Jimmy G like uh, a page a paycheck just for keeping him employed 
longer than he should have been because he, he should have been he should have been canned immediately after that game. Cowboys got outplayed by the 49ers outright. And everyone's talking about the referees when the Cowboys had no business even being in that game uh, with how badly the 49ers manhandled them. And that's the thing. The 49ers manhandled um, uh, the Cowboys. Game it got put back in play because of Jimmy G. The problem is, is that they played last week. They're not as fresh. It's harder to manhandle Green Bay, who's coming off a of rest. Now, unless Green Bay just comes out completely rusty, yeah, maybe we get the 49ers just dictating the pace of the game and going from there. I look at it more as Green Bay is fresher. They know what they need to do. Uh, they got to get past uh, uh, this 49ers team that's been a throw in their side. They remember Troy Aikman in this sound clip. We've seen it over and over and over. This is uh, this is taking away the manhood right here in the Green Bay Packers. They haven't forgotten. So I, I'm just saying this is you're probably going to get as focused of a Green Bay team as you as you see throughout the playoffs. Even if they make it all the way to the Super Bowl, this is probably the cleanest game they play tonight. So to me, I think Green Bay wins. I just look at it as if you tease this, I don't think the Packers win by two touchdowns. I think they win by a touchdown and they get out of the, uh, uh, get get out of this game as healthy as possible and they go from there. I don't necessarily see this as a 49ers win for the reasons why I outlined. It's like I don't trust Jimmy G. The the team's a little bit banged up still. You know, the Packers are still going to be able to put up uh, points against uh, that weak 49er secondary. To me, I, you know, I know it's not a great matchup for the Packers, but it, I think we're, I think we're getting a little bit overboard with the 49ers hype of saying they're going to take down the Packers. I, I, you know, I'm just, I'm not, I'm not there with folks because folks are talking very much as though this is the upset to look out for this weekend. And to me, I think the other underdogs, <laughs> like to me, I think the other underdogs are in a better position than the 49ers are of upsetting the Packers. It's not that I think they were terrible play. It's just that these are all good matchups because we didn't have any upsets last week, really. Um, so to speak, because, you know, Arizona was just so awful that, the 49ers prove that yes, they are much better than the Arizona Cardinals. Um, so yeah, that's, uh, that's where I'm going to go with it. Uh, in, you know, from a DFS standpoint, you know, I'm, I want to concentrate more on the first game, uh, for the two games late, as opposed to <clears throat> this nightcap. But in terms of players, I'll take a stab at Randall Cobb. And I know folks are like, why would you take a stab at Randall Cobb? All right. We know Aaron Rodgers likes targeting receivers he's comfortable with. And we know Alan Lazard has stepped up uh, quite a bit in uh, Cobb's absence while he was on IR. However, we've also seen Lazard drop quite a few passes for Aaron Rodgers in critical situations. And, you know, Rodgers has had to kind of deal with that because he can't always throw to uh, Devontae Adams. But with everything on the line here and Rogers wanting that MVP wanting to uh, shut people up about uh, you know, everything that's going on with him this season, whether it's right or wrong about his vaccination status, like Rogers is, is, he's got a lot of uh, chips on his shoulder. Uh, Some of them well-earned and deserved and others, not as much, but you know, it is what it is. He's got a lot of critics right now that he's trying to prove. Now, Knowing what he needs to get done, I think he's probably going to lean towards the hands that he thinks are the most reliable he can count on, that being Devontae Adams and Randall Cobb. Nothing against Lazard, because I think he's still going to run plays for Lazard. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying to fade Lazard. What I'm saying is, don't be shocked if in the red zone, you're seeing Randall Cobb's number get called over Lazard. Because I still think, to move the chains, he's going to need Lazard, because Randall Cobb is 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 uh, like uh, I I don't want to say fossil because I know Al uh Randall Cobb could dust me and a number of other people in the foot race with uh wearing a blindfold uh you know without question but you know Randall Cobb is 
literally on uh, like at the tail end of the back nine of his career. He could easily retire if he loses this game tonight. So, like, without question. So, you know, let's just be realistic about what we have here in terms of Randall Cobb's career. But I'm just saying, in terms of reliability and red zone type target situations, it would not shock me in the slightest if uh, Cobb got the nod over uh, Lazard uh, uh, later tonight. And then, you know, Eli Mitchell for the 49ers. The 49ers are going to rely on that run game. Uh, I'm not as keen on the Packers run game as much as the Packers like to run because they're going to split it between Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon. You know, I think Dillon's the better back, but Aaron Jones has his value too. And because they're going to keep splitting it, you know, it kind of makes leans more towards in that two game slate where, yeah, you may not want to play Derrick Henry, but you know, being on the safer side, yeah, you can play Derrick Henry and Eli Mitchell as opposed to try to, figure out which Packers running back you're going to go with because pricing wise, you're not getting much savings on the Packers running backs versus playing Derrick Henry, who you know is going to get the bulk load of the chair. So again, this is where you kind of start uh, making evaluations as to uh, workload and uh, priority, uh, priority on players who you know will have higher utilization rates. So, with that being said, uh, I'm trying to think who else in this matchup I have a preference towards. So, you know, I already told you I'm down on Kittle. Uh, not really interested in trying to do pump plays. And you know, Debo Samuel, like I said, is go- is going to be pricey. He's going to be different. Um, you know, on the two game slate, he's going to be way more popular. On the four game slate, not nearly as popular. And I think you get more value out of Debo in that fashion because. You know, if for whatever reason the Bills Chiefs games underperforms, and that's certainly a possibility, you can get uh you can get that uh in a different uh in a different uh function uh, uh so to speak uh, because of the fact that uh you know Debo's going to be a lower owned play, and he's going to be using a red zone just as much as what you would see out of. Tyreek Hill or uh, Stefan Diggs or uh, Mike Evans or uh, uh, Cooper Cup. Uh, you know, Debo is, he's priced up. Like, don't get me wrong. He's priced up. But that utilization rate is there. And if for whatever reason, uh, one of these guys also busts, it's not the worst thing in the world uh, uh, to have Debo there as a leverage play if you're playing multiple lineups. So getting into the games tomorrow, uh, I'm not going to go as uh, deep on uh, these uh, because I'm probably going to just come back tomorrow to talk about the two-game slate. But from an overall standpoint, you got the Bucks favored 2.5, 48 total. Now, the issue with the Bucks: two injured offensive linemen, Jensen and uh, their center, and Tristan Wirfs, their right uh, tackle, who... I believe all they both made it to the Pro Bowl. Um, uh, you know, the issue is Brady needs his protection. If Brady doesn't have his protection, Aaron Donald's going to have a field day uh, tearing through that line. Now, Brady is still going to get rid of the ball quickly. Brady doesn't have all of his weapons, obviously, with uh, the Antonio Brown situation, Godwin being out. He, Brady has been down this road before with the Pats. It's not the craziest thing in the world that Brady makes the run with this cast of characters in Gronk because we've seen him do this with the Pats. The, the The issue with the Bucks is can that defense play better because their weakness is in the secondary because they stopped the run and the Rams are a run first team. I, for the life of me, cannot understand why people are even considering the Rams running game. I'm hoping people play the Rams running game against the Buccaneers. Because to me, from a DFS standpoint, uh, that's free money. Uh, The over-unders on uh, Cam Akers uh, were were like 48 and a half. Uh, They think Cam Akers is going to be the guy over Sonny Michel uh, is what we're hearing. 
you know, Cam Akers made a miraculous recovery from Achilles surgery. Uh, I, you know, Sonny Michel, his knee is shot. Cam Akers, yes, he's better. He's better. Don't get me wrong. He's better than uh, Sonny Michel. I'm not going to lie and say that's not the case. The problem is the issue I have. The Rams wanted to run the ball up between the tackles. The Bucks are the best team in between the tackles with Vita Vea. I mean, it, it, it's, it's, it's like, I, I, I can't be any serious. The best thing that the Rams do with their offense is completely negated by the Buccaneers. So, to me, when you have a run-first team, and what they want to do is predicated on being able to get things done in between the tackles, and they and they are not going to be able to do that unless Vitavea like comes down with something overnight. I just don't see how the Rams are running in between the tackles on the Rams, and their specialty is not in the stretch. I'm just. I am not seeing where people are getting these rushing props for. I just think you have to hit the under. I think this game is all coming down to whether or not Matthew Stafford can make this Bucks secondary pay and if he can avoid throwing a pick six or multiple interceptions. That's it. If Stafford can spread the ball around to uh, Odell Beckham Jr., Cooper Cup, Van Jefferson, Higby in the tight end spot, if Stafford can spread the ball around, they're going to win this game and probably win it by a touchdown or more. If Stafford has his act together and does and does it implode. If Stafford throws, makes a turnover, fumble, pick six, multiple picks in his own end of the field and gives Brady opportunities, the Bucs are winning this game. This game really comes down to can Stafford avoid mistakes? Because I just don't see how the Rams are running this ball. They are going to need to move the ball passing and be efficient enough without turning it over. And that means Matthew Stafford has got to be productive without screwing up. And if you're if you're asking me who do I have more confidence in, I'm going to take Tom Brady. I, you know, it, it it's it's just the way it is. It's like I don't think that secondary is any good, but I know Matthew Stafford, when pressure comes on, it's not his forte. It's just not. This is like, you know, I I make the same claim. Like, he's best friends with Clinton Kershaw. But, you know, even though the Dodgers won won the World Series, you know, the the issue was is that when push came to shove in crunch time, Clinton Kershaw still got rocked. And it's only when he had little pressure situations that he actually had decent pitching forms. Not monster pitching forms, but decent pitching forms. And to me, last week, you know, Stafford put up numbers, but again, he was under little pressure because Arizona was imploding on offense. Uh, you know, that pick six with uh, <laughs> like Kyler Murray, I mean, they were making internet memes about that game all night long. Like, there was no pressure on Stafford in that game because Arizona was bringing nothing to the table to cause concern. So, for me, I'm just saying, you know, we go, we keep going back and forth on this. And, you know, I'm, I'm just, I'm just trying to lay it out for you guys. If Matthew Stafford can just pick apart aspects of the Bucks secondary, which isn't good, but, they will play like ball hawks, and we saw this with the Cowboys. Like the, the Cowboys will play for interceptions because they know they can't cover in space. Same same deal with the Bucks. They will for they'll go for the turnover as opposed to trying to just make the normal play. And you know, and they'll blitz and they'll keep blitzing. So Stafford's gonna have to make the decision on the snap and make the right call. I don't know again is Stafford is capable of managing. If he can manage it, I think this is a this is a pretty straightforward weakness that he can exploit, but I doubt that he's going to avoid that game without having a turnover or two. And I feel that Tom Brady is going to punish every single mistake, 
because that's what Tom Brady does when it comes postseason time. He punishes mistakes with ruthless abandon and inefficiency. So, you know, that that's where I, I kind of stand on it. Like, you know, I'll go through uh, the individual prices uh, for the two game slate because uh, they're slightly different um, tomorrow. But in the four game slate, you know, I would look more towards uh, some of these other games uh, outside of Leonard Fournette because this is going to turn back into a classic path old school game where you got dump off passes underneath, you run the ball a little bit, uh, and Fournette's going to pick up the the uh, workload on both ends, so he's going to get the Kevin Falk role uh, that you used to see uh, where you catch uh, the passes out of the backfield, you run a little bit, uh, you know, and you just milk clock, and, you know, I just, this is another one of those games where I could see the under hitting because if the Bucks get into a groove and Brady kind of has his drives going, he'll, yes, he won't milk the clock all the way down to zero. That's not what I'm talking about, but he's going to keep a consistent enough pace to avoid the Rams being able to switch out defenders, but at the same time, chewing up enough clock as he goes along so that they're, they're still gassed by the end of the game because they keep having to play uh, on so much repetition. So to me, when you're, you're kind of evaluating a game on that regard, I look at, uh, I look at Fournette. You could certainly look at Mike Evans and you can look at Gronk, but I don't necessarily see the ceiling potential out of the Bucks players that I could see in a Rams victory because the Rams victory looks more along the lines of, you know, the Bucks are consistently blitzing. Cooper Cup's the most expensive wide receiver on the slate, and they're probably going to shade guys more towards him anyway. That should open up the field for OBJ and Van Jefferson to go to work. And, you know, OBJ caught the two touchdowns, was having a good old time. You know, Giants fans like myself, just miserable, you know, just watching, like, how we butchered this situation as badly as we did. And, you know, I I think that uh, at the end of the day, the Rams receivers should be able to have a good day. It's just that the value of Cooper Cup, I don't see as much because of his price tag. He's the most expensive price receiver. And, you know, both DraftKings and FanDuel priced down Tyreek Kill and Stefan Diggs from where they probably should have been because I feel as though they're trying to get the casual players to just play this uh, Chiefs-Bills game. And I'll talk about that uh, as well, but you know, it's uh, it's it's more of a a, a straightforward chalk build. But I, I like this uh, a Bucks Rams game significantly less than uh, the others, just because it's a little bit harder to see a ceiling game. It it's just going to be more spread out, in my opinion, as opposed to uh, being. Uh, having a little bit more of a concentrated feel. So uh, getting into the final game, you got the Bills and the Chiefs. And 54 total, we talked about this, highest total by far. You know, when we come right down to it, uh, the Bills need this game. The Chiefs, Yes, the Chiefs dynasty, if you want to call it that, they need this game too. But for for the Bills, they got to get over this Chiefs hump. This is the game they've been talking about, and I will say this point blank. Everyone's talking about how this game's going to shoot out. There's going to be so many points in this game. I'm just going to say this point blank to folks. The two most varying teams in terms of performances week to week in the NFL this year we're the Chiefs and the Bills in terms of all these games. We kept saying that we're going to smash and that like, there's no way this game could fail. And then what do you know? Both teams smash and fail to uh, put up points. We've seen it multiple times. We saw the Bills lose to the Jacks. We saw like how many games the Chiefs lose to teams that you're like, what the hell is going on? Uh, you know, it's just, it's not that, it's not that straightforward. I'll be honest, it's not that straightforward. We can see this game 
come in under 50, and it's not the craziest thing in the world. Uh, you know, they've already played this year. They're very familiar with each other. They've looked at the game. They, like, it's not the craziest thing that this game comes in under 50 points scored. So the over 54, the line being at 54, you know, it's leading people to play these spots, and I get it. Because Josh Allen could run for a touchdown. Patrick Mahomes is Patrick Mahomes. They have stud receivers. The pricing is cheap from a DFS perspective. All this is true. I'm not saying no. What I am saying is that both of these teams defensively are looking at this as to how they can try to mitigate the damage. Uh, They're looking at what the Bills did and how Josh Allen scrambled on them. Do they keep a spy on them? Do they try to bracket coverage Stefan Diggs? Do they bracket coverage uh, Tyreek Kill? How do we slow down Kelsey? Like they've been considering all these variables. That yes, and could it be possible that they uh, they figure it out? Yeah, is it possible that this game shoots out and nobody gets under control? Certainly, but everyone's assuming this in such a high velocity that there's no way this game can fail, and it's like. You know, I this the ownership is slanting so heavily towards this Chiefs Bills game that I feel as though I need to. Yes, well, I have some Josh Allen builds. Yes, because he has the scrambling upside to get a rushing touchdown. But I feel as though if I'm building this lineup, I'm taking Josh Allen. I'm not playing as uh, Devin Singletary and hoping Josh Allen runs for a touchdown if he's not throwing to receiver, and if I'm playing Josh Allen, I'm probably not pairing him with Stefan Diggs. I'm pairing him with Gabe Davis and maybe Knox instead of Stefan Diggs because so many people are going to pair him with Diggs. You're going to be splitting up your rosters with so many other folks entering 150-plus lineups that it's just you're, you're, you're whittling down your chances. You're, to me, you're better off trying to get unique. Even if you think Josh Allen's the best play, get unique in terms of your builds of how the Bills uh, put up the points against the Chiefs because it's very likely that Josh Allen runs for a TV, TD in the, in, in the game tomorrow. You don't necessarily need to pay up for uh, Stefan Diggs, and even then, Stefan Diggs isn't even that pricey. Like, that's what I'm – and that's the other part I'm talking about, too. Because Stefan Diggs and Tyreek Hill were not priced up, Every casual person is going to just jam in Stefan Diggs and Tyreek Hill because they're so cheap on both sides. They want casual fans to do it. So to me, it's just, yeah, you they, they could easily end up in the optimal because they're priced too cheap. They are too cheap. I, I will say this again. They are too cheap. They could easily be in the winner. The problem is you will be in the winner with about 2,000, <laughs> like, uh, like, Two, uh, like maybe not 2000, but like 500, 700, 800, like in the Millie Maker, like you, like it could be just one huge train. And yeah, I, I mean, the money's nice, even if you're first and you're chopping it up 800 different ways. Yeah, you're still gonna make some, uh, make money off of it. Like, don't get me wrong, but you know, you're, tr- you're trying to like win outright in some of these tournaments. And to me, it's you're kind of jamming yourself up in that way. Now, in terms of who I think wins this game, uh, you know, I'm still undecided uh, as of yet. Like I, 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 my, my dad thinks it's going to be the bills getting it, getting over the hump, but you know, the bills have been so inconsistent. Like they looked so good last week. I think folks are getting distracted by the fact of how good they looked last week. And, uh, and not the reality of the situation of, that was the third time they played New England, and they they were comfortable enough to actually go after uh, the uh, uh, deficiencies of the Patriots. So to me, that's where <clears throat> you know you kind of get become a prisoner of the moment. I'm not necessarily saying that uh, the Bills uh, are should be a heavy underdog or anything like that. The line's at minus one and a half, and it's fair. Like the the bills have earned the right to be considered uh uh to be taken seriously enough i just think that you know the chiefs will win this game outright 
even if they were a three point favorite, if you think the Chiefs win, the Chiefs are winning this game outright. If you if you think the Chiefs like, I'm not worried about the spread necessarily uh, in this one because I think the game script of how both these teams can win, they can put up the points necessary. I'm not as crazy about uh, how it all plays out. So to me, you know. I, I got to look at it again and just see the weather forecast and just make sure nothing goofy happens because it's a night game. But I just look at that line and everyone keeps saying that there's no way this game can fail. And there's a way this game can fail. I, I, I just, I, I think it, I think it's entirely possible. I just think it's entirely possible. So, you know, we, we gotta, we gotta go from there. And, uh, and make do uh, with it what we will. So uh, let me get out of here because, uh, yeah, we're get, we're getting a little bit over an hour, and uh, we got these games coming up soon. So uh, I'm going to duck out of here uh, and uh, get this uploaded. So best of luck to you folks uh, today, and uh, we'll we'll have something. Uh, I'll have something uh, up uh, later to, uh, tomorrow uh, before uh, we get started with uh, the Rams-Bucks game, and we'll probably do – some showdown content because uh did not get to talk about showdown and it's just so much to deal with uh overall it's it's hard to break down the numbers uh, uh to do everything all at once but uh we'll try to do some showdown content uh tomorrow ahead of the matchup so uh best of luck everyone and have a good one thanks for listening to the fantasy throwdown podcast be sure to like and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and all other major outlets.